But the, the Latin word Adventus means coming or arrival, and it's where we get the English word Advent. And, and this time of year, for, for hundreds of years, the church has focused on the coming of Jesus into this world. Jesus came into this world. God stepped into human history and he took on flesh and he lived among us and he brought his kingdom. He brought his reign. And one of the things that we want to do here as we reflect on why Jesus came and what Jesus accomplished is we want to prepare room in our hearts for him to reign as king in our lives. And we want to push back on those things that may be good but are a distraction for us during this season. We want to push back on those things that, that, that eclipse the focus on the Son of God. Right, and, and we want to respond and worship in honor of who he is. And so this morning I have titled the message, The King Has Come. From a very familiar passage uh, read and, and preached on during this time of year in Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at it through the lens of the king who has come and he has brought his kingdom into this world. And so pray with me as we uh, prepare to read the scripture. Father, as we open up the pages of scripture, would you speak to us? Would you open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word? Open spiritually blind eyes today. We pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And so let us turn to the familiar story of Jesus coming into the world. We're going back 2,000 years to a, a young girl, a teenage girl in Israel who was visited by an angel. Luke 1, 26 says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee, Named Nazareth, Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with, with her who was called barren, verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, 
Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What a beautiful story. A familiar story for many. A myth for some, but a true story for those of us who know Jesus and believe in Jesus. We believe that this is not some fable, not some myth, not some made up story, but this is the redemptive story of God who came into the world to bring his rescue to broken people, to sinners. And so here's here's our big idea this morning. Jesus has come as a humble king to rescue us, to reign in us. And we must receive him and his kingdom with humility and faith to experience salvation and joy. And so let's first of all look at the rescue of the king. It says, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, or in Hebrew, Yeshua, Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. You see, Jesus came in the world to bring rescue. He came in the world to bring salvation. He came in the world to deliver people who were held captive by sin and the powers of darkness and set them free. And grant them the forgiveness of their sins. And you see, before, Christmas is first and foremost an indictment on humanity. It's an indictment on humanity because it highlights the reality that you and I need a Savior. You and I have failed to honor God and we've disobeyed God. We have failed to live our lives under His perfect rule. Under his reign, we have failed to do what's best and what's right and what's good with our lives. We've said things, we've thought things, we've done things that have hurt us and hurt others and dishonored God. The Bible calls this sin. The Bible says that we have all sinned and we have fallen short of the glory of God. You see, humanity was made to live for the glory of God, to reflect the glory of God, to be responsible beings who governed the earth and and took care of the earth that God created. But mankind failed and disobeyed God's authority and God's reign in their lives from Adam and Eve down to you and I today. And so God has done something about this great problem. You see, many people think that their great, greater problems are, are, have to do with finance or have to do with the government and have to do with other people and have to do with their circumstances and their, their relationships. But ultimately, our greatest problem is a sin problem where we have been separated from the Almighty. We have been cut off because we've rebelled against Him and rejected His ways whose ways are holy and just and righteous. And so God sends this baby. His plan for rescue was to send a baby. Who would have thought of this? Send a baby. All right? Born of a virgin. A baby who would live in poverty in a poor family. In a small town of Nazareth. Who would have thought of this 
great rescue plan to come in such a subtle way. In lowly, humble circumstances. He came as a lowly king, the, the king of the universe. Stepped down into darkness to shine his light. And so the name Jesus means Yahweh saves. We see Mary calling uh, uh, her in a little bit further in chapter 1. She has this praise to God and she describes God as her savior. By the way, Mary wasn't sinless. She needed a savior. She needed that baby to deliver her. The baby that she would one day deliver, she would need that baby to deliver her from her sins. And she calls God her Savior in Luke chapter 2, verse 11. The angels proclaim and announce the Savior of the world is born. Christ the Lord, the Savior is born. And this is good news of great joy for which we should give glory to God. We should join with the angels, join with the shepherds, join with Mary and give glory to God for the great things that he has done. His name saves. He is the savior of the world. And in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 19, verse 11, this is considered by theologians the key verse of the gospel of Luke. It describes the purpose and the mission for which Jesus came. And he said this, this is after he, he impacted Zacchaeus' life, the little wee man, short man, who was looking for Jesus and salvation came to his household. He responded to King Jesus and it affected his life and affected the way he lived. And he responded to Jesus, and Jesus, Jesus made this statement. He said, for the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. The Son of Man, Jesus, came. He became a person, a human being, so that he could rescue other human beings, so that you and I can live forever with him and have eternal life. Salvation as a free gift. And so he hung out with these grimy sinners, tax collectors, people who like to party and do a lot of sinning. And it just irked the religious community. They're like, why is he hanging out with them? If he's really holy and righteous, why is he hanging out amongst these folks? And Jesus said, it's the sick that I've come to heal. It's the unrighteous that I've called to repentance. Those who recognize their sickness, those who recognize their unrighteousness, those who recognize their need, he came to preach the gospel to the poor. And I love Luke's emphasis on the kingdom and how Jesus ministered to the poor, being poor himself in this life. And how he lifts the lowly. How he meets the needs of those who are needy. How he includes and brings in the outcast. How he heals the broken. Sets the captives free. The kingdom has come. The rescue of the king has come. The reign of the king has come. The angel says he will be the great. He will be great. He will be great. He will be the great hero. The great hero of the Bible. 
the prophets spoke about this one who would come, this Messiah, who would come and bring this rescue, and many Israelites waited for it. They looked for it. They longed for it. When will God do something about the brokenness in this world? They lived under, the Jewish people lived under Roman oppression at the time, and they had been through much turmoil, much war, much difficulty, and they needed a deliverer. One who was greater than Moses. One who was greater than David. One who was greater than Abraham. Jesus, the great one. The hero of God's redemption story. He would be called the son of the most high. The son of the most high. Uh, Psalm chapter 2 speaks about the son. Kiss the son. It says uh, he he will reign and his, his kingdom will be forever. He will be called holy. He will be called the son of God. Mary got a nice little preview of the kingdom to come. Now, one of our practices, uh, many of us, when we're, when we're looking for a good movie, we want to check out the preview, right? The trailer. We want to we get a glimpse of what's this movie all about and why do I want to watch this movie anyways? Is it worth watching? You want to read the reviews. You know, what's the stuff you, you don't want to hear and see, Right? You want to watch something worth watching. And the angel of the Lord gives Mary a preview of the kingdom to come. She gives her a snapshot of King Jesus who would come into the world and bring rescue and bring his reign. Perhaps there's somebody here today that that he is that 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 hasn't surrendered to King Jesus yet, that needs his rescue in their lives. And I hope that this preview that you're getting from the scriptures, from this message, would draw you in to respond to the king. I'm getting ahead of myself. Mary's response, by the way, wasn't just simply, oh, praise the Lord, I'm going to have a baby and I'm a virgin. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Let it be. Now, she said, let it be done according to your word. But she first has a question. How can this be? And that's a reasonable question for a teenager to ask an angel who just showed up unexpected and tells her that she's going to have this great king, the son of God, the son of the most high, the savior come into the world. She, it's, it's reasonable that she would ask the question, how can it be? Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered to her. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Okay, is that a sufficient answer? Does he give a whole lot of details? He gives a few, but there's an element. Well, you're just going to have to take... Take the word of the Lord and trust what's being said. This is, this is going to happen by the power of God. This rescue, this salvation that you need is not going to come by human strength. It's going to come by the supernatural power of God. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, Mary. And you're going to miraculously be pregnant. Okay? And at the, at the end of uh, verse 137, it says, For nothing will be impossible 
with God. So it's a supernatural work that the angel points her to and that she responds to. One theologian in his book, Knowing God, he says this, it is from misbelief or at least inadequate belief about the incarnation, that is Jesus becoming man, taking on flesh, about the incarnation that difficulties at other points in the gospel story usually spring. But once the incarnation is grasped as a reality, these other difficulties resolve. So this is an important teaching of the Bible that we must get. We must accept by faith. And though we may not understand it fully, though we may have questions like Mary about the particulars, logically it didn't make a whole lot of sense. Naturally, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. But theologically, Mary trusted God. She trusted the supernatural power of God to do what he promised he would do. And it's logical for us who believe in a supernatural being to do supernatural things. I mean, we believe that God spoke creation into existence. We believe throughout scripture God has done miracles in human history. And through the life of Jesus, when his kingdom had come on earth and was displayed and demonstrated, there was miraculous signs and wonders that pointed to the arrival of the king. The king is here. He's here. Nevertheless, as humans, we struggle with doubts. We have questions. And we need to bring those to God. God's not intimidated by our questions. We don't have to fully understand everything. There is a mystery component to this. Fully God, fully man. There's some mystery in the incarnation. I'll talk about that here briefly. But there, we, what we see here is we see Mary bringing her questions in, in an in a honorable way. There were, before that, there, there was Zacharias who was told that he was going to have a child, um, um, uh, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, and he responded with a question in doubt. Therefore, he wasn't able to speak until the baby was born, and he had to write out what the name was going to be, John, right? Tim Keller, in his great book, Hidden Christmas, says this. He says, some doubt seeks answers. Some doubt is a defense against the possibility of answers. There are people like Mary who are one to the truth and are willing to relinquish sovereignty over their lives if they can be shown that the truth is other than what they thought. And there are those like Zechariah who use their doubts as a way of staying in control of their lives and keeping their minds closed. Which kind of doubts do you have? Which kind of doubts do you have? God can handle them. You can talk to him about them. Another theologian uh, says this, that the virgin birth is posted on the guard at the door of the mystery of Christmas. And none of us must think of hurrying past it. It stands on the threshold of the New Testament, blatantly 
supernatural, defying our rationalism, informing us that all that follows belongs to the same order as itself. And if we find it offensive, there's no point in proceeding further. Historically, the church has had a confession called the Apostles' Creed. And a part of that confession, some churches recite this every Sunday. There are essentials and core, core beliefs to the Christian faith. And one of them is this. I believe, let's say this together, if you believe it. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. We believe this. This is a part of what makes us believers, followers of Jesus. And yet there is mystery. Mystery that I don't feel obligated to try to remove because I think it's there intentionally. J.I. Packer says this, that God became man, the divine son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed, taught to talk like any other child. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is this truth of the incarnation. It is truth. It is not fiction. It's not a fable. It's not a myth. It is truth that the Bible teaches. Albert Einstein, with his brilliant mind, describes the beauty of mystery and wonder. And he says this. He says, the most beautiful thing we can experience is the mysterious it is the source of all true art and science. He to whom this emotion is a stranger who can no longer pause and wonder and stand wrapped in awe is as good as dead. His eyes are closed. May we be captured with a fresh, fresh sense of awe and wonder this Christmas season as we reflect on the incarnation of the Son of God. As we reflect on the eternal word, the eternal son of God who stepped down into human history, who laid aside his rights and his glories and he humbled himself and he took the form of a servant and he became obedient even to the point of death for us and death on a cross. Let us marvel at the beauty and the wonder of the reality that our God has come. And he reigns. He reigns. Notice what the angel says about Jesus. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Here's the reign of the king. Here's the snapshot. Here's the glimpse. The king, this baby, will be the king. And his kingdom will be everlasting. It won't end. It'll go on and on and on and on and on and on. Every other earthly kingdom will one day crumble and fall. And we rejoice for many of those ungodly, unjust kingdoms and governments to fall. 
We look forward to justice and righteousness and peace filling the world that King Jesus came to bring. And so he's described here as the father, uh, 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 as the son of David. Okay, this was a messianic term. Uh, Jesus was, he oftentimes was called the son of David and, 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 and he was related to and he, he, he would reign. David's life, we, this whole year by the way, we spent our time in First and Second Samuel and we studied the life of David. And we saw one of Israel's greatest kings, one of the, Israel's greatest kings. And he did some great things and he honored the Lord in some significant ways. But we also looked at how significantly he failed and he sinned, and he dishonored God, and he hurt people, and his family became broken. And yet he was a man after God's own heart. He loved God. He followed God. He worshiped God. But he failed significantly, and he repented. But, but as we read the story, as we read the story of this king and this kingdom, it leaves us readers looking for and longing for a greater king. Surely there's a better one than this. Surely there's a better one than this David, and there is, the son of David, the one who would be born through David's lineage, who would come and who would have an everlasting kingdom, who would not fail in the ways that David failed, and who would be the sacrifice for sinners, who would rescue sinners and would reign in the hearts and the lives of those people whom he has rescued, who he has redeemed who he has set free. The prophet Isaiah, one of the most famous Bible verses of, of Christmas time is Isaiah 9, 6. And rightly so, this is well known because it captures the heart of the Christmas message. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. By the way, Christmas is first and foremost a gift to us. God gave us his son. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He came to give us himself to rescue us. And he doesn't need anything from us. While it is appropriate to respond to what he's done. To surrender, to worship, to bring him gifts. As people did. That is appropriate. We must first and foremost receive what he's done. Receive the son. Accept the son. Accept the gift that he is. The grace that he brings you and I. At Christmas. For unto us. For to us a child is born. A son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end in, of, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The prophet Isaiah foretold the coming of the king. This baby who would be born, this baby who would be king, who, whose kingdom would be everlasting. He would be called a wonderful counselor. Anybody need a counselor this time of year? Struggling with sadness or depression or discouragement or direction. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. He will be the prince of peace. Anybody need peace this time of year because of the stress 
of the season and the stress of family life and all that's going on in your heart and your mind. Everlasting Father, mighty God. And so what, what is the kingdom? Let me, let me give some description of the kingdom, okay? There's a couple theologians here that I want to highlight who do, do a great job describing and defining the kingdom. John Stott in his book, uh, his commentary on the book of Acts defines the kingdom as this. The kingdom of God is his rule set up in the lives of his people by the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is spiritual in its character, international in its membership. By the way, I love looking across the room today and seeing diversity in the room. That reflects the kingdom of God. You know, in, in heaven... There will be every tribe and every tongue worshiping around the throne of God. And Jesus came to redeem not only Jewish people. He not only came to save them from their sins, which he does for those who believe and receive him, turn from their sin. But he saves those of us who are not born of Jewish descent. He saves people, all kinds of people, young and old, tall and short. I'll be careful here. Of all ethnicities, he saves all types of people who receive his reign, who receive him as king. So the kingdom of God is his rule set up in the, in the lives of his people by the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is spiritual in its character, it's international in its membership, in its membership and it's gradual in its expansion. Jesus, Jesus spoke a whole lot about the kingdom of God. It's kind of the bulk of his message. He went around preaching the good news of the kingdom. He proclaimed it, he declared it, and he displayed it with power, with kindness, with love, with justice. And he said, the king is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. But Jesus described the kingdom of God as, as a tiny mustard seed in Mark, uh, Matthew uh, 13 tiny mustard seed it's a tiny seed but it grows into this tree where birds can come and take shelter and so there's this this gradual expansion in the hearts and the lives of people from from one person to the next i i love i love just the rescue in in alex's life and then just kind of the domino effect right and just how the lord has has used the family and the witness of the family and then her witness impacting Natalie, right? And, and I just love the domino effect of the kingdom of God and how God works in families and through families and, and how, how lives are changed one at a time and sometimes families at a time. And God's working in hearts and changing lives and bringing rescue, bringing redemption and, and, and reigning in hearts. Tony Evans, in his book, Oneness and Brace, describes the kingdom agenda as this. The kingdom agenda is the, the visible demonstration of the comprehensive rule of God over every area of life. Amen? This is the kingdom. This is the kingdom that Jesus proclaimed. This is the kingdom that Jesus displayed. And he came to destroy the works of the devil the kingdom of darkness and deliver those who were held captive in the kingdom of darkness and set them free and transfer them over to the kingdom of the beloved son. So one of the things we see in scripture is that God's kingdom is here. Jesus announced it. Repent 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. The king's here. His rule and reign is here. Right? There were people that responded, who responded favorably and accepted his authority in their lives. We see Palm Sunday, they were, they were throwing down palm branches, right, and celebrating, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Then some of those same people crucified him. Said, shout it out, crucify him, right? And, and, and so Jesus came proclaiming his kingdom, displaying his kingdom, and in and, 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 and Luke chapter 4, he describes uh, the beginning of his ministry where he turns to Isaiah 61 in, 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 in the temple, and in, uh, in the synagogue, and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to pro- proclaim recovery of sight to the blind, and the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus quoted this and said, it was fulfilled in, in their hearing, right? And so he, in, in quoting it, he's describing himself as, as the Messiah, as the king, and saying, I, it's, it's fulfilled here. And so he brought his kingdom, and he brought his kingdom into the lives of others. Actually, after Jesus was r- risen from the dead, he, he walked the earth about 40 days, and he had interactions with his disciples. He was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses. They saw the resurrected Christ. He died and was dead for three days and raised up from the dead. And he had conversations with them. He had breakfast with his disciples when he had a little r- restoration conversation with Peter, right? And, and, and so Acts, Luke records, Luke, uh, Luke volume 2 He says what Jesus talked to them about during that time was the kingdom of God. That was his message. He preached it when he was walking the earth. He preached it after he was resurrected. And then at the end of Acts, by the way, Acts finishes finishes with with Paul imprisoned. And and not so bad of an imprisonment. He had his own place. But, But it says that he was proclaiming the kingdom. He's proclaiming the kingdom. And so what we see in the life of Jesus coming into this world and and Luke's gospel is we see the kingdom displayed, the kingdom declared. And then after he ascended into heaven after the resurrection, we see the church getting the Holy Spirit, the power of the king in their lives to carry that message to the nations. And we see God moving and working and uh, transforming lives. Charles Wesley, one of my favorite Christmas hymns, captures the heart of this reality that we celebrate during Christmas time. And this is verse 2 of Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. You know what? I'll sing it. You can, you can join in with me. Born thy people to deliver. Born a child. Yet a king born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring by thine own eternal spirit. Sufficient merit, reign 
beautiful. This line captures what theologians call the already of the kingdom and the not yet. He was born into this world. He was born as a child, born as a king who came to reign. In chapter 1, or verse 1 of this, this song as well, he, he, he came and, and he brought his kingdom. And yet, we are still, we, we still haven't seen the fullness of it. There are still pockets of resistance. There are still people and people groups who haven't bowed their knee to Jesus yet. And so he teaches his followers to pray, your kingdom come. He teaches his followers to prioritize the kingdom, to seek first the kingdom, and to pray for the kingdom of God to come on earth as it is in heaven. Just think about what is the reign of God like in heaven? And what would it be like if it was like that on earth as it is in heaven? I think it would be described as the Bible describes it as righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, 17. It would be described as Isaiah describes it, chapter 9, as justice and righteousness, as an everlasting kingdom that has no end. And then let's look at the reversal of the kingdom that Mary celebrates. I love this. In her song called the Magnificat, she celebrates what God has done, that God would, would, would choose a lowly person like herself and give her such an honorable place and redemptive history, and she celebrates it. And I'm just going to highlight a couple lines here. And in her praise to God for what he has done, she makes this statement. She says, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in, in, the, in the thoughts of their hearts. And he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. And he has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. And so in history we see God humbling folks like Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar. Those who were proud, high, and haughty in their power, in their own strength, who thought that they were God, who thought that they were worthy of worship and tried to exalt themselves to the place of God, and he humbled them, and he continues to do so today, and yet he lifts up the lowly and the humble. He meets the poor, and we see God's heart for the poor in the scriptures, and especially in Luke's writings. And in the life of Jesus, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And he describes the kingdom that he brought, the reversal of the kingdom, where the last will be first and the first will be last, where the exalted will be brought low and the lowly will be lifted up, where the outcast will be brought in. And embraced, we call it the reversal of the kingdom of God, where the values of this world and God's kingdom clash. They're turned upside down. 
Tim Keller, in his book, uh, Hidden Christmas, describes this. He says, Jesus' values are radically different. The world, the world's values, the world values pedigree, money, race, class. He turns all that upside down. These things that matter so much outside of Jesus' church must not be brought inside. He says, in a sense, in my family, those things that are so important out there in the world must not be so important. Now, he wrote, he commented on this. He made this comment in light of speaking about the genealogy of Christ. And when you read it, there's a few people in there that are included. There's some ladies included. And Luke, Luke highlights this, by the way. It's interesting that ladies get the first announcement or preview of the kingdom to come before he was born. And then there's some ladies who get the announcement of his resurrection first. We see God up to something here in a time when, when women were not held in the proper place, valued, not, not treated as co-equals in their value. And so he's commenting, Tim Keller comments on this, this kingdom reversal here that I call it, um, in, in, in from the, the lineage of Jesus in Matthew's gospel, and he mentions Tamar, Rahab, the harlot, a Canaanite harlot who wasn't even Jewish, and Ruth, the Moabite, who are included in the lineage of Jesus. And Jesus isn't ashamed to have them a part of the family heritage. Some of us can, can relate to having those folks in the family that maybe we're not as like, well, you know, that's so... Yeah. But because of the grace of Jesus and the kingdom of God, we can love those that the world cast out, that the world rejects. And Jesus was willing to, to step in and, and into the world and be born into a poor family and, and have the lineage that he did have. And he reversed, reversed the, the, the values, or, or he challenged the values of the world, the kingdom of this world. And he celebrated this, by the way, in Luke chapter 10 after his disciples went on a mission trip and, and, and they, had, they had the message of the kingdom, the good news to declare. People were responding, but then there were people who were not responding, whose eyes were not open to see and believe the message. And, and the disciples, they came back and they're rejoicing. They're like, even the demons have to do what we say. Jesus is like, hey, don't rejoice over that, guys. Rejoice because your name is written in heaven. You, know, you had to redirect them there. But, but then Jesus has this prayer that's very similar to Mary's prayer. And he, he, he rejoices. Look at this in verse 21. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. And he said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. I like how Eugene Peterson paraphrases it. He says that, that you've hidden these things from the proud know-it-alls. And you've revealed them to the childlike, to those who are humble and teachable and hungry. He says, yes, Father, for such is your gracious will. All these things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And who the Father is except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal them. Jesus celebrates the way that the Father was working. And, and, and how the revelation of the kingdom had come to humble people. 
And so lastly, let me finish with a response. Because your response matters. We must respond to this king. And no, no response, a non-response is a response. All right? You must respond to the king. What are you going to do with this news that you've heard? How are you going to live in light of the reality that Christ has come as the king of the world, the savior of the world? Are you going to receive him and his message like Mary did? In faith, trust him by believing his message? Surrender to him by embracing his agenda as Mary said, let it be done according to your word, according to the word of the Lord. Or as Jesus prayed, Father, not my will, but yours be done. As he was wrestling in the garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross. You see, we must surrender our wills to him, to the king. Are we going to praise him for what he has done? He's brought rescue. He's brought restoration. He's brought reconciliation. He's reversed. He's brought the the valleys up and the, the mountains low. Those with much, he sent away empty. Those with little, he's filled them with good things. Are we going to worship him for who he is like Mary did? She says, your name is holy. You're my savior. Your name is holy. You are mighty. You've done great things. Your mercy is for those who fear you. She praises God for her faithfulness to her ancestors, to her fathers. God promised that he would bring rescue, that God promised that he would bring blessing to his people. Mary is an example for us in how we are to respond in trust and surrender to Jesus. As the angel said, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That's the proper response to Christmas. That's the proper response to the king who has come. She praised God and expressed her joy. She magnified God. She she described him as savior. She described him as mighty and holy. She said, you've looked on me, my lowly estate. She must have felt seen by God and honored by God that God would graciously choose her. She declared, he's done wonderful things, great things for me. He shows mercy. He shows strength. He scatters the proud. He brings the mighty down from their thrones. He exalts the humble. He has filled the the hungry. He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped Israel. He has fulfilled his promise. This is a very similar prayer to Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Very similar. It echoes Hannah's prayer. There were worshipers who surrounded, who surround the Christmas story. Mary and Elizabeth, Zechariah, the angels who proclaim glory to God in the highest. The shepherds who went away praising the Lord. Simeon who held Jesus as a child in his hand and he said, Lord, now my eyes have seen your salvation and you are letting your servant depart now in peace. Anna, who was a worshiper, it is fitting and appropriate for us to respond to the king with worship. And so let me just close with a couple points of application as the worship team comes up to lead us. 
First of all, ponder the great things that God has done in bringing us rescue. You and I need a Savior. And Jesus came to save us from our sins, from the power of sin, from the penalty of sin, from one day the presence of sin. And he offers forgiveness of sins. He he offers freedom from sin dominating our lives. He offers us friendship with God, restored relationship, reconciliation with, with God, which should translate into our other relationships. Mary treasured these things. She was pondering them in her heart. She thought about what what God has done. And next, prepare room in your hearts for Jesus, the King. For hosting Jesus in your home for the holidays. Is there room in the inn for this child? Is there room in your home and your heart for this child? Let every heart prepare him room. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. Prepare room in your hearts for him. Praise him for what he's done as the the, the, the shepherds did. And tell others what he has done. What a great time to testify. To witness. To tell others. And lastly, pray for his kingdom to come. And his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you all would bow with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending us Jesus to be our rescue, to reign in us. So come and have your way in our lives. Teach us about your kingdom. Teach us to prioritize your kingdom. I pray for anyone here whose eyes are blinded to see the beauty of the king, whose hearts are resistant to respond to the authority of the king. And I pray that you would graciously grant repentance, graciously open their eyes, rescue them, heal them, set them free. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.